I want to start off this year in the sermon series by acknowledging a particular question that just kind of hangs in the air. Um, it's everywhere. It seems like everyone's asking it, and it's about any number of things, about friends, about romance, about living situations, about majors, about family dynamics, about spring break, summer plans, everything, post-college life. And the question goes something like this. We have different ways of asking it, but it's something like this. What in the heck should I do? What should I do? That question, I think, is everywhere right now. I'm like, so I hear it all the time. I'm thinking about doing this. I'm wondering what I should do. I have these two options in front of me. I know these decisions on the horizon. What should I do? And so often when we're asking the question, what I've noticed is that we're not deciding, actually, usually between something that's so extraordinarily black and white. If the option is between sharing a two-bedroom apartment right near campus with my best friend, and it's like $300 a month, or sharing a room with like four or five people 10 miles off campus for $800 a month, it's a pretty easy decision to make. For the most part, it should probably be an easy decision to make. But what should I do with all the decisions that are more muddy than that, that aren't quite cut and dry? I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, he's in the room, about an amazing job opportunity he has here in Chattanooga, and about an amazing job opportunity he has in Washington State. And which one should he do? And both seem like pretty good options. I can't even count how many times a year a guy comes to me for some advice on how to ask a woman on a date. And I got some pointers, okay? I got some pointers, and I've got a world of experience, and, uh, and I'm not all hopped up on hormones. So that's okay. You can come ask me. Uh, and typically, um, here's kind of how the conversation tends to go. Something like this tends to go. I say, well, um, you should just ask her in person the next time you see her. Just say, that, hey, uh, I, if you're interested, I'd love to take you on a date. That's, a, that's my advice, right? And he says, uh, right, but see, the trick is we've already been, like, hanging out, and I'm not sure what she thinks kind of we've already been doing. Uh, and I say, okay, well, that's dumb. Um, but given that, <laughs> given that, why don't you just tell her, hey, so we've been hanging out, and I'm not sure what you think this has been about, and I probably should have done this sooner, but i really love to unambiguously take you on a date. Um, and then he says something like, yeah, but I kind of made out with her friend last semester. And then I slap him. Uh, <coughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. Well, kind of kidding. Uh, and and prob probably just like recounting that story, I've like cleared my calendar for 2018 of any guy that wants to ask advice about dating. Uh, okay, but, but over and over in the, in the process when this conversation comes up or anything like it really, um, the same question keeps coming up over and over again. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? In light of the new information, what should I do? No matter how many times I can generate an answer, it's like the more data that comes up, the more it just continues to prompt that question in a new light. Okay, well, now what do I do? Okay, well, given this data, now what do I do? And I asked her out, and she said, maybe, and then now what do I do? And, well, she said, maybe, don't like, be a stalker, uh, and maybe respect that. And she probably just means no. Um, you know, okay, but then what do I do? And like, the question just keeps coming up over and over again. And this question, I find, is really it's just everywhere in our lives. I suspect 80 to 90% of our lives are lived in this moment where there isn't clear-cut instructions on what to do. Should I take this job or that job? Should I study this or should I study that? Should I go hang out with my friends tonight or should I stay home and study? Should I read the Bible or should I get some sleep? Should I eat this cereal or that cereal? Like most of our lives, we're making these decisions where specific Bible passages and moral rules don't directly apply. So, for example, would you put up, um, Ashley, are you running slides up there? Thanks. Would you put up Exodus 2014? 
Okay, so here's a rule or a moral line. Don't commit adultery, okay? But let's assume like she's not married or with a boyfriend or something. Should I ask her out? Because this doesn't really, I mean, like, this tells me something, and it does create some boundaries. I hope, I hope that all of you in this room are not pursuing people that are already in committed relationships outside of a relationship with you. That's a clear-cut rule. But given that some of these not, do not commit adultery, doesn't quite answer the question, should I ask this person out, right? Or the next one, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Always be joyful. That's a command. You should always be joyful. <laughs> if you go back and listen to a sadness sermon from last semester, and then we'll have fun on this conversation. Uh, always be joyful. Okay, but what if I could rejoice at both of the job opportunities that I'm looking at? Like, what if I look at both and I think truly I could be joyful in both? How does this help me? The overwhelming majority, I think, of our lives, even when we throw scripture at them, like the overwhelming majority don't have specific instructions. So, what do we do when that happens? And, and, and I think in response to that question, God actually invites us to become wise. We don't just need to have wisdom, we need to practice it. We need to know what wisdom is, and then we need to live it out. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight, and in some fashion we're talking about it all semester. Wisdom. If you're a nerd uh, who likes extra reading, um, or you're a kindred skeptic, I um, just want to know where I get my stuff. Um, these are the wells um, that I'm drawing from. Would you put that image up of the, the text, I guess? I don't know if you can read them. But these are some of the, the things I've been, I'm, I'm drawing uh, thoughts from, and these are the things I'm going to be tack like, um, tackling all semester um, as I prepare sermons throughout the whole semester. And if you, uh, I don't know if you want to read along, or I don't know what you want to do. You already have your own homework. So, um, but uh, anyway, uh, these are the books of the Bible at the top. Proverbs, James, and Ecclesiastes are... Uh, along with Job, um, are classic. Are, are, if you look at the Bible as a whole, these are classically called wisdom books. Job, Proverbs, James, and Ecclesiastes. There's actually quite, kind of unique ways to read them, which we'll begin to um, tinker with a bit later in the semester. Not so much tonight, but um, you read those a little bit differently. And also Ephesians. There's some stuff about wisdom in Ephesians we might end up landing on. There's a commentary by Derek Kidner I really love. Um, and these other three books I think are, are fantastic um, and very helpful in thinking about wisdom. Um, so anyway, just in case you're a nerd or... Uh, don't trust me. Uh, that's where I'm getting my stuff. Um, all right, let's pray, and we'll talk about wisdom. Um, Father, <coughs> I hope that, please. Um, I pray tonight as we talk about wisdom, Lord, um, that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts and minds in this room would be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, so we're going to look at that passage of scripture uh, from Proverbs chapter 1. And Ashley, if you'd put that up, I don't know, we might need to move through it a little bit. But um, uh, this is what was read earlier. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, right? Um, and you can, you, we'll just keep that up on the screen. But this is the beginning of the book of Proverbs. This collection, if you know where it is, it's kind of like, if you actually um, take your Bible and open it up to the very, very, very middle, you'll land somewhere in the middle of the Psalms. And just slightly to the right of that is the Proverbs. Um, that's where we're looking. Um, and and the begin, this is the very beginning of that book. And it's a collection of short little bursts of wisdom. So, so it's maybe tip in the hand for some later sermons. But like if you were to read, for example, um, the, the Bible book called Ephesians. That's actually a letter written by a guy named Paul to a group of people in a place called Ephesus. That's why we call it Ephesians. 
Uh, and it's probably really good for you to read that just straight through and not just read little snippets of it. That would be like me writing you a four-page letter and you reading like two sentences of it and just pondering that for a long time but never reading the letter, right? Um, or or the, one of the gospel accounts or even like Genesis or Exodus, which are huge long narratives and single stories. That, that those are, there's a particular ways to read those that are helpful in their natural uh, sort of format, but Proverbs is way different. These are short little almost like fortune cookie statements, uh, often in pairings and sometimes in more than that, um, and they're just little bursts. And in the course of the 31 chapters of Proverbs, there's actually at least seven different collections. It doesn't read straight through. It doesn't read like in a narrative of any kind. There's a couple of chapters that do, and if you're just being an attentive reader, even if you don't have like a theology background or you're new to the church, just read it if something says hey, son, listen to what I'm about to say, and then it kind of ends in a few verses, and then there's like a shift. You go, oh, that part probably sticks together. Like, you'll, you'll see that sometimes if you read in the Proverbs, but, but there's at least seven different collections in this thing. Some wisdom are from a father to a son, which can totally just be read from a parent to a daughter. There's some translation that needs to happen. Sorry, ladies, we keep doing that to you. Um, truly. Uh, there's some collected wisdom from King Solomon. There's some wisdom sayings from like an other culture and an other time which ring with truth, and the people of Israel have, have, have curated some of those and put them in their own books, too. Some wisdom sayings, um, well, anyway, they're all over the map, but, but it's like a, maybe if you can imagine this, it's like a Spotify playlist of the best bits of wisdom Israel has gathered. That's kind of what this is. It, it's not like, a, like my wife got me an LP, like a record player for uh, Christmas. It's like Bluetooth. I don't even know how those things go together genre-wise, but, uh, but it plays Bluetooth through the air. Uh, I don't know, whatever, um, but it's a record player, and, and, and so it was interesting when I went, like, searching for records to buy to play on that, I'm looking only for records that I want to play from start to finish, right? I mean, like, because you don't skip around. Maybe you don't know that, but you don't skip around on records. Record players are, like, way cooler for your generation than they were for mine, probably, so you probably know way more about it than I do, but, um, but, but I, I'm looking for records that I play from start to finish versus something like a Spotify playlist where it's just a hackneyed Frankenstein collection of, of favorite things and bits from all over the place. Proverbs is a little bit like that, like this favorite playlist of wisdom. And, and, he, and the first verse tells us why they've gathered together this wisdom and written it down and wanted to codify it and make sure that it, it stayed within the community and it was something that we shared and we meditated on and we talked about together a lot. It's so this very first line. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. This book is all about wisdom. It's a word we throw around, wisdom, but it's, I've, I, in sort of uh, thinking about this tonight, it's hit me that we rarely define it, and it's actually an extraordinarily hard word to define, like defining love or something. Like somebody tries to define it, and you're like, that's not right. Uh, it's close-ish, but that's not right. And like Jesus defines love for us. Love is laying down your life for a friend, but if I tell some, if I tell my wife, I love you, and then I just use a, you know, transitive property, which now it's math and English, but whatever, uh, and I go, I lay my life down for a friend, you, um, it, it just doesn't seem quite to work. Like, when you try to define love, it seems like it's never quite right. And wisdom, it, to me, seems like a word kind of like that, this huge, huge word. I'm going to give it a shot. It's probably not going to be perfect. Let me say this first. Wisdom is God's response. Wisdom is God's response. It's his gift to all of those times and places where we don't have specific instruction. Wisdom is God's response or God's gift 
to all of the times and places where we don't have specific instruction. As I tease that out a little more, here's a sentence which some of you it may be helpful for, and if it's not, just throw it out and forget it, but if it may be helpful, let's, let's, let's try it. I like to say, and Ashley, there's a, a, put this up there if you can, that wisdom is the art of living in reality. And I think this is a gift from God, by the way. Wisdom is the art of living in reality. I don't know if that's a sentence we have up there, but that's the sentence. The art of living in reality. Wisdom is more art than science, if you're familiar with that phrase. It's more art than science. Because sometimes wisdom means giving something away. But sometimes wisdom means saving it. Sometimes wisdom means going to bed early, and sometimes it means staying up late. It's more art than science. It deals with every, uh, sorry, it's also, um, uh, it said it's the art of living because it deals with every single aspect of life. So it's not just a random art, it's actually the art of life itself. It deals with every single aspect of life from, from what I eat for dinner to what career I should pursue, from whether to flirt with a particular person to what I should watch on Netflix or whether I should watch it at all. It's about living in all of its robustness. Wisdom is an art, and it deals with all of living, but it engages reality. I don't just want to say it's the art of living. That begs questions for all sorts of different ends. It's the art of living in reality. If it is engaging reality, if it isn't engaging reality, it will be, never be wisdom. If, listen to this. If you're closing your eyes to reality, it is impossible to be wise. If you're considering a particular career, but you're not willing to be honest about your weaknesses, your vices, your temptations, your gifts, your strengths, and your hopes, it will be impossible to make a wise decision. If you're thinking, I really want to ask this person out, but you're not being honest about you and your context and your history and them and their context and their history to the degree that you know it, it's impossible to be wise if you're not being honest about reality. Wisdom is the art of living in reality. It's a gift from God in response to all these times and places where you don't have specific instruction. You might want specific instruction. God often gives us wisdom. And the book of Proverbs spends 31 chapters showing us what this looks like. And in Proverbs, and this is going to be, uh, this might be a bit of an adventure. I'm going to try something with you guys. Uh, it might be a little tough, but... Um, I want you to kind of hold two images in your head for a minute as we try to look at what wisdom might look like. Wisdom looks kind of like a gem, and it looks kind of like a children's book, I think. A gem and a children's book. If you read the Proverbs, which I encourage you to do this semester with me, these two images I think might really be helpful. A gem and a children's book. Okay, first, the Proverbs, they, they present wisdom to us like a diamond sort of with many facets. Look at these first few verses. Would you put um, the, the beginning of Proverbs back up again for me real quick? I'm sorry. And look at some of these things here, okay? Wisdom, their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise, to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help to do what is right and just and fair. These Proverbs will give insight, knowledge, discernment. These first few verses, some of how we understand wisdom is by looking what it's compared to what it's like. Proverbs can be frustrating for some of us if we're trying to be extraordinarily specific and legalistic and literal. 
because often there's just a ton of simile and metaphor. Actually, in the very passage we're reading, the people of Israel call the Proverbs riddles a lot. Riddles and Proverbs, these things which don't jump out at you right away, but which you must chew on and, and mull over, meditate on, think about, be curious about, stew on for a long time. And if you can imagine for a second that these words, insight and discernment and knowledge and discipline and, and, and seeking guidance and counsel, if you can imagine that each of those ideas is a facet on a diamond for just a second. And then as I spin it slowly around, you begin to get a better and better idea of how all of this fits together into some riddle called wisdom. Because if you just said wisdom is knowledge, that's not quite right. If you just said wisdom is discipline, I know people that are disciplined and they're not super wise. I know people that know a lot of stuff and they're not very wise. Or wisdom is receiving guidance. Y'all, I get, oh, I should, I'll put it in the, uh, there's a lot of guidance I have received and just getting the guidance doesn't make me wise. You understand that? Like there, there also is all sorts of other things specifically I need to practice it for it to begin to be considered wisdom. But so it, none of it's, none of it, those words are totally it, but as I turn the diamond and you see each facet reflecting an aspect of it, the idea of wisdom becomes clearer. It's hard to have wisdom without insight. It's hard to have wisdom without discernment. It's hard to have wisdom without guidance. And one of the best ways to understand what it is is to think about all of these different aspects working together. And so I think of it kind of like a gem that has different facets, and I'm turning it, and I'm, I'm like, wisdom is insight and discipline and knowledge and guidance and prudence and and all sorts of things. Humility. We'll get into some more. If they, and if one way to understand wisdom is to see it like that, with these different sort of facets that are similes and metaphors that, that kind of circle around a big idea, another way to understand it is to see what it's contrasted with. If wisdom is like all these things, it's also not like these things. Okay, so, so when my kids are learning to read and they're developing their vocabulary, every single word is a new idea to understand or to explain some part of their experience in the world. And it's truly fascinating to watch them come to understand how different words correspond with their experience. I, truly, I mean, and they often are just trying things on and seeing what happens, right? Like yesterday morning, um, I forget exactly what I said. I said something like, my daughter said, good morning, daddy. And as I walked down, the, I said, good morning. And as I walked down the hall, she goes, literally. <laughs> I don't think she has any clue what literally means. She's just trying it on to see if it works. You know, like if I respond well, then yeah, you know. And if I don't respond well, then that's not it. And she keeps trying it on. She, I mean, she's four years old and she tries all these different words on. Each word is like this mysterious thing that she's, and it, it's, it's really fun to watch. I, I don't remember being that age. But it's a wonder watching them try to figure out these new ideas. And one of the best ways for them to learn what these words mean is by contrast. So I want you to check out an image from a kid's book. Just, would you put one of those up, Ashley, real quick? Either the yeah, other one. So fast and slow. Here's an image from like a kid's book. You know how kids learn what fast is? How do you think they learn what fast means? When you say, man, that car is really fast, daddy, what do you mean? How do I explain to them what fast means? Like, I don't get into, like, physics of velocity, which even velocity won't tell you what's fast. Why? Because it's relative. That's a relative word. 
Fast is a relative word. It's, a, it's actually a contrasting word. In order for me to explain to my kids what fast means, I, so, I show them something slow. In order to explain what fast is, I've got to show them something slow. And, and it's circular, it's super frustrating, and philosophically fantastic, okay? But there you have it. Like, Daddy, what does fast mean? Well, it's the opposite of slow. Okay, well, what does slow mean? Well, it's not fast. And, and quite frankly, this is how they learn. You can actually buy like a million books that do nothing but show opposites so that little kids can begin to understand what words mean and how they correspond to reality. Would you throw the other one up real quick? Here's another one. Tall, short. You, you might sometimes, because in this same book, you know what else I would probably say? I would say, that's green, and this page is white. Because how does anybody even know what green is unless they see any other colors to compare it to? Do you see that? That they need to see contrast in order to understand it. And so it's this, maybe I'm geeking out about it, and you guys are all like, yeah, dummy, I remember being four. I remember reading all those books, you know, I don't know. But like, it's crazy to me, like, so it, it makes really intuitive sense to me to go, okay, what's wisdom like? Well, it's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this, and you kind of mash all that together, and it's like this. That makes a little more sense to me, even though I, w- I wish I had like a one-sentence definition. It was a little bit more strange to, to read the Proverbs and realize so much of the Proverbs are lifting up wisdom and then contrasting it with its opposite over and over and over again, like a children's book. And so we can imagine wisdom like this multifaceted gem to better understand it, or we can imagine like a kid's book where each set of pages is contrasting wisdom, <coughs> and this is where I want you to stick with me, with one of three images. So if, if, if like in this image, wisdom is the left side, there's only three images to contrast it to. I mean, there's, there's more uh, sort of derivatives of this, but there's three main images in the book of Proverbs that they contrast wisdom to. And I want to explain what those, I want to highlight what those contrasting images are, which quite frankly, I think for some of us, is going to be super convicting. For some of us, some of us are going to get really judgmental because we're going to think about somebody else in our life that's contrasted with wisdom. But I think this might help you understand what wisdom is and is not. And so there's, there's three different things. The first thing that, that would be on like this right-hand side of the page, if wisdom is on the left, is the simple. The simple. There's the simple, the fool, and the mocker. Depending on your translation, it might say scoffer or something like this. The simple, the fool, and the mocker. The simple is just someone who doesn't know yet. That's all. Someone who lacks understanding. It's not somebody who's opposed to wisdom, antithetical to wisdom, rejecting wisdom. It's somebody who lacks experience, who lacks understanding. There isn't like a fight against wisdom. You don't need to feel overwhelmingly bad about it. It's just part of growing up. It's part of having experiences in the world. (coughs) Sorry. It's just being simple. And wisdom is contrasted with simple. And the cure for the simple, the way the simple, I should, I should just be uh, uh, consistent with my sides here. Um, the, the way for the simple to become wise is just for the simple to, is time and experience. The simple just need time and experience. It's, it's exposure. It's just hearing wisdom and experiencing wisdom. The simple aren't wise, but they can be. The wise are contrasted with the simple, which tells you something about what wisdom looks like. Wisdom has experience. Wisdom has understanding. Wisdom has time under its belt. There's something else. If you turn the page, wisdom has another thing it's contrasted to. The fool. The wise are contrasted with the fool. The fool knows what they're doing. This is different than the simple. The fool knows what they're doing is unwise. 
And they do it anyway. Proverbs 26.11 is probably the, the, the most succinct uh, image of the fool. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. So a, po- so a fool repeats his foolishness. The fool says, I know it's not wise, but I'm just going to do it anywhere. I'm not going to think about it. I had a friend who at 38 years old last year had a heart attack, which is a bit strange I'm 38, uh, and he's a friend, um, and heart attacks suck. Um, <coughs> and a lot of the reason he had a heart attack had to do with the fact that he was a smoker. Um, he wasn't simple. He knew what smoking does to his body. He knew the history of heart attacks and, you know, like the effect of, of, of tobacco products and tar in his lungs was like on his family. He was not simple. He knew it was detrimental to his health. He wasn't a mocker. We'll get to that, but I'll just say it. He wasn't saying, like, I don't even care. I'll do whatever the heck I want to do. Like, he, he wasn't out and out rejecting wisdom in his life. I remember standing with him many times when he said, yeah, I should probably quit these things. Over and over and over and over and over again. And like a dog returning to his vomit, a fool returns to his folly. He kept saying he should quit, right? And then he almost died. How much do you think he smoked since he had a heart attack? Somebody say it. How much do you think he smoked since he had a heart attack? Zero times. None. None. If the simple gain wisdom through time and experience, the fool, the fool often gains wisdom through tragedy. If you are returning to folly and you know it's not wise over and over and over again, history, scripture, the the collected experience in this room would say that the only way you're going to learn is through tragedy through some kind of significant failure. And my friend, whose heart failed, began to be wise. It was nuts, by the way. Like two weeks later, he was in, he's a friend, of, he and his wife are in my small group, and uh, two, he was in the hospital for a bit. And two weeks later, he started coming to our small group. It, came, it was a miracle he lived. He came to our small group, and to, to a person, everybody's like, whoa, like, you're not pale and, he, and yellow anymore. Like, ever since I'd known him, he'd just been that way, and he stopped smoking, and his body just had vitality to it again. And he was happier, and he was sharper and quicker. And, and I'm not actually making a case, trying to make a case against smoking. Um, yeah, you don't have to see what's in my car. But anyway, um, but he, he knew all this information before him, but it was, had to be the experience of tragedy that woke him up. Wisdom is compared or contrasted to the fool, not just the simple. And then it's contrasted to one more thing, the mocker. That's the other big thing it's contrasted to. That's a strange word for us. The other two probably sound a little more okay. But, but this is the way the, the, the scriptures paint it. And I want to, to tell you what these words kind of mean. Because if you read the Proverbs, I don't want these words to sound overwhelmingly strange to you. It's similar to the fool in some sense in that it knows what it's doing is unwise, the mocker does. But it's full of arrogance and pride. It would be my friend standing outside and me saying to him, Hey, bud, man. You smoke a lot, and I'm pretty sure that's not healthy for you. And we should probably figure out how to cut back or not smoke. And he goes, you know what? I don't even care, dude. I don't even care. Like, I'm going to smoke as much as I want. It's my life. You know, like, my wife is cool enough to take care of our kids if I die. If I die young, so what? You know, like, I mean, that would be something more like mocking, not like a fool. A confidence in, its own, in, in their own way and an aggression usually toward the wise. When the mocker seeks wisdom, this is what the scriptures have to say. 
their life and their posture and their history make it almost impossible for them to find it. Somebody who's living a life of mockery, if in a moment they say, I just want to know what's wise for them and for them alone, it's hard for them to find it. And maybe even a heart attack won't help them turn around. The book of Proverbs casts, and this is tough, it just casts each and every one of us into, into one of these four categories. The mocker, the fool, the simple, or the wise. Imagine a children's book where the wise is on this side and the simple is on this side, and as you turn the page, now the fool's on this side, and as you turn the page again, now the mocker's on this side, and each time you see the contrast, you begin to have a better understanding of wisdom. So wisdom, like a gem, has these facets of insight and discernment and guidance, and because of the contrast of wisdom against these three caricatures, we also know that wisdom has experience, and wisdom does what it knows is right, and wisdom is humble. And this wisdom, friends, is what you and I actually need in response to all the decisions that we're making which we don't have, for which we don't have a specific instructions. It's what you need. Who should you live with next semester? What should you major in? Should you be patient in your singleness or should you get out there? Should you confront a friend of yours in their sin? You don't primarily need T-charts or to read that one book. You need wisdom. Although you can't, if I'm paying attention to what the Proverbs have to say, you can't actually have wisdom without discernment and insight. So maybe you do need to do some T-charts and read a book, but what you're after is wisdom. That's what this guy needs when he's asking me how to ask a girl on a date. He needs wisdom. And to gain wisdom, he probably should be seeking counsel but he doesn't need me to be his magic eight ball. Are those things still relevant? Do you guys know what that is? I don't know. If you don't, look at Google it. Uh, Google's relevant still. Um, He doesn't need to read like some magic blog that, I don't know, Relevant Magazine put out or something. He doesn't need to read that. He, He might gain insight from me. He might gain insight from a blog, but he needs wisdom. Or let me put it this way. He doesn't need a book on romantic ideas. He needs to be the kind of man who can generate them. Do you see that difference? He doesn't need a magic mentor somewhere to tell him all the right answers. He needs to become the kind of guy that that knows the difference between a right and a a life-giving and a death-bringing answer, and he walks in the life-giving one. That's what he needs. That's the difference. And what I find so often is that what we're doing is we're, we're pleading, we're begging, we're, we're moaning, we're, we're lamenting the fact that we just want a specific answer to a thing. And God is trying to pour out the storehouses of his wisdom upon you. And you're saying, nope, I just want you to tell me who to live with. When I first thought about this sermon series, I, I, I thought only about how much this is going to be a blast all semester. Because we are, and we're going to do this, we're going to talk about wisdom as it applies to all sorts of things. Our bodies, our decisions, our friends, our finances. And we're going to talk about best practices, and it's going to be like super practical, which you guys know sometimes I struggle with. Uh, and it's going to be awesome. And, and all that's true, and I'm super excited about all that. But what I've realized we're going to run up against over and over and over again is the fact that we might not want wisdom. Best practice, I could tell you guys all day you should save some money. How much of us actually want to do it? 
as I read the Proverbs, what I'm confronted with is the fact that we wouldn't be told. This is a huge insight into all of Scripture. It's really basic, y'all, but this might help you a ton if you never thought about it before. We would not be told that wisdom is crying out all the time if we were already listening to her. So, for example, like a very famous passage of Scripture, Paul says in, in, in Romans, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which means there's a temptation to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray, be thankful always. We read, we read that just a minute ago, right? Or something like that. Or rejoice in all situations. You would not need to be commanded to rejoice in all situations if it wasn't a struggle to rejoice in all situations. You understand that? Like when we read these things, these things are written for particular reasons to people struggling with things. I wouldn't say to you, take courage if you were super courageous. I'm trying to encourage you, to literally give you courage by saying that. You can do it, which I'm saying that because you don't think you can. And when I read the Proverbs over and over and over again, what I see, do you remember how this was at the end of our, our <coughs> excuse me, oh gosh, I'm so sorry, I have a terrible, whatever, you know, you know. Um, Ashley, would you put up the end of that, of the last three verses of that Proverbs thing, if you got it, um, from chapter one? It's like one of those, maybe the second slide. Uh, maybe right before that. These are the Proverbs of Psalm. Okay, no, it's definitely after that. Oh, is there one more after that? Fear of the Lord? Yeah, there's one more after that, I think. Verses 20 through 23. There we go, right there. So check out these for this thing at the top. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. This idea comes up over and over again in the Proverbs. In other words, friends, wisdom is not actually hard to find. Maybe you've been thinking that it is, that wisdom is like some magic puzzle. How do people, like that guy up front, get it sometimes? How does my friend who always seems to make right decisions, how do they know what to do? How come I always end up dating t- terrible, they're terrible people, but how come I'm always in da- terrible relationships? Or how come I just can't seem to figure out how to study in such a way that, like, like wh- whatever. Maybe you think it's some magic puzzle or some secret, like, buried in a far-off land and you need to go for a journey to find it. It's not in a magic book, and it's not found in a perfect mentor. The reason we don't have wisdom if we don't have it, and this is, nobody wants to hear this, It's because we've been, because like a simpleton, we're not listening, or like a fool, we're plugging our ears. So I could say to you, for example, you should save your money and you should also give some away. That's wise. Who here wants it? Over and over in the Proverbs, we we read about wisdom calling and crying out and making her voice heard. But if we don't listen, it's only because we're simple or fools or mockers. For wisdom is thrown out over the whole world for all to see and hear. All to see and hear. It's on every rooftop. It's in every valley. We're told the wisdom, that wisdom was with God at the very beginning of creation. That he summoned wisdom up as he made the whole entire universe. And when God came to earth in Jesus Christ, we're told that he himself is the wisdom of God for us. We're also told that the cross is the wisdom of God. Everywhere we look, God is giving us wisdom. Everywhere. It is crying out in the streets for anyone who would hear. And friend, if you don't know wisdom, it's because you're not seeking it or you're too proud to see it. Right now, 
I want you to, <laughs> you might not want to after I just said those things. Uh, but right now, I want you to call to your mind a decision right now that you need to make in your life. I want you to conjure it up in your head. Maybe it's a decision about schooling, a decision about finances, or roommates, or job stuff, or maybe it's family, a roommate, I don't know, romance, whatever. Think about a decision that you, that you need to make. You're asking, I wonder what I'm supposed to do with this. Fix that in your mind just for a second. I want you to say to yourself, I, need to, I do need to make a decision about this at some point. I want to know what to do. And then I want to ask you this. What's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing for you to do? In light of your circumstances, in light of your past, in light of your future, in light of what you know about what's going on, what's the wise thing for you to do as it relates to the decision you need to make? And often what I find is even asking that question can reveal just how obvious wisdom is. Because often I think our response when we begin to ask that question, and it actually helps if you can imagine, like I have to do this for me to, to get it right. I actually try to imagine myself as a six-year-old. Because often when I ask the question, here, here's what I'm thinking about doing tonight after the house. Or I'm thinking about doing this tomorrow in the middle of the afternoon. Here's what I'm thinking about, do, here's what I'm thinking about uh, doing my money or my free time or my school or this summer with my plans. Or, or, or on, on the drive home, should I listen to music or make a phone call to a friend? Do I tell this person in my life that, that I'm struggling with them and, then I, and that I don't know how to move forward in our relationship? Do I extend forgiveness to somebody? Like, with these decisions I need to make, when I stop and I ask, is it wise? It's weird. I don't even, I, I don't even answer the question. The next response is, I don't want to, um, usually. That's usually my response to that question. Is this the wise thing to do? And somewhere inside of me, the six-year-old rises up and it's like, I don't want to. And I realize that it's not that wisdom is so difficult to know. It's just hard to do. We have a resistance to wisdom. The wisdom of God, even though it's life for us and refreshment for us. Even though we don't look to our own best interests so often. Even though we deceive ourselves and we return to the same. I mean, who in this room can't say that? We return to the same folly over and over and over again. And wisdom is crying out in the streets saying, if anyone will hear me, turn. I'm preparing a banquet for you. Proverbs chapter 8 starts this way. With wisdom saying, I am preparing a banquet for you. Proverbs 1 would say, I, I want to pour out my spirit upon you. If you would just turn. It's not that it's hard to find, it's that we're not listening. And so this semester, my hope is to each week present to you just how good God is in his wisdom. How embodying his wisdom in our friendships, how embodying his wisdom in our conflict with our bodies is kind and it's generous and humble. And how God's love for us in Jesus Christ means that there is always hope for the most foolish among us and the most simple among us, even for the mockers. And that, that none of us is too foolish or simple for his reach. And my hope is to over and over present to you the truth that wisdom, first and foremost, has an end and it's love. And that it's more precious than anything else you can run after. And that it's worth the work and it's worth the learning and it's worth the practice. But I know that I cannot make you wise. And I know I can't even convince you to be wise. All I can do is echo Lady Wisdom's cries. Hoping that you'll hear and that you'll turn 
much she'll pour out her spirit upon you. I know that there's all sorts of decisions you have to make. This time of life is full of them. I think life itself is full of them. And I'm utterly convinced that 80 to 90% of our life does not have in specific instructions. And God's invitation to that is wisdom. Not just that you'd know what to do with some decisions, but that you would become wise. That you'd live like sons and daughters of the king who know his will and live like him on earth. He's ready even now in this very moment to pour out his wisdom upon you, friend. Listen and turn and seek after his wisdom. I'd love it if you would do that with me. I'd love it if we would do it together. In the coming months, if you want to meet with a member of our staff, a student leader, if you want to talk about what wisdom looks like in a particular aspect of your life, if you want to pray together, if you want to ask God to ask somebody on a date, <laughs> uh, if you want to talk about decisions that are upcoming and seek wisdom together, I would love to do that with you. It's just my hope that you would actually want to become wise and that we would seek God's wisdom together. That's my invitation for you in this time, this season of the school year. Next week, we're going to talk about what does wisdom look like in our friendships, and we're going to get pretty practical about it. Um, we're going to pray right now together, but in the back, 